Welcome to r slash malicious compliance, where people get exactly what they ask for. Our first Reddit post is from Alabaster. I was living with my girlfriend and a roommate, and we split the cost of every bill evenly, even though each bill was in one person's name. Well, that was the idea, but I naively helped my girlfriend pay her part of the bills, i.e. paid completely for most of them. The rent was in my name, the electricity in my girlfriend's, etc. Well, I eventually got tired of her attitude, arguments, smelly gerbils, not doing her chores, etc. And we broke up. It was messy. She took ages to move out, making sure to mooch every penny she could before leaving. When she left, I immediately started a new electricity account in my name. A week later, I got a letter of confirmation in the mail, but I also received the electricity bill for the last three months my ex was living with us. I opened it without thinking. We couldn't even pay it if we wanted to because the bill was in her name. I shot her a text. Yo, we got your electricity bill in the mail. It's 120 bucks, so come pick up 40 bucks from each of us. Um, where's the other 40? We agreed I wouldn't pay bills after I move out, as if she did before. You were still living here for the time period of the bill. This is BS. I'm not going to pay a thing. We had an agreement. Well, you can come over to get our part or you can pay it alone. The way I see it, you can either bring the $120 to my place or have fun in the dark, lol. <laughs> you got me there. At this point, I realized that she doesn't know I started my own account with the electricity provider. She thought that by refusing to pay, the provider would cut our lights. Good way to mooch another 40 bucks from us, right? But that's not quite what happened. A few weeks later, I received another letter from the electricity company with her name on it. Probably a late payment warning. I sent her a text to tell her and she responded, Lol, why are you so desperate to talk to me? You know what you have to do, smiley face. <laughs> another letter came in for her. This one was probably late fees. I have to guess because I never opened them. I messaged her and she said, I thought I told you to never talk to me again. As you wish, ma'am. More letters arrived, but from a new address. I googled the new sender's address and found that they were debt collectors. Scary stuff. It's too bad I couldn't say a word to her. Now, <laughs> about two or three months later, I received a phone call from my ex and I'm greeted by, What the F? These people are calling my parents' house. I've got all these late fees. Bye, debt collectors. I told her if she wants our part of the bill, she knows what to do, smiley face. Realizing that she had no other choice, she caved and came for the money. My roommate and I didn't give her a cent towards late fees, and I probably looked so freaking smug giving her my money for the last time. If you don't give me money, then I won't pay my bills and rack up massive debt. That'll teach you. Our next Reddit post is from ACFF. Some backstory, I was a general troubleshooter for my company. My job involved a lot of traveling to different cities we support. My area of work is Ontario, Canada, where I'm based out of, and some of the nearby states in my United States, New York, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. 
I did most of my traveling by car since my schedule can change quite quickly and flying can become very expensive. I had one colleague who is technically my subordinate, but we have a very good working relationship and would often handle calls independently of each other, only checking in by phone once a week and in person once a month when necessary. A little over a year ago, I get an email calling me to the head office in New York City for a meeting with the CEO and the board of directors regarding my job. I check with my colleague and he got the same email. So we make our travel plans and meet in New York City the following week. We have dinner together the night before our meeting and can't figure out between us what the issue is about. It's rare to get summoned to head office and more rare for things to be so vague. When we go into the meeting the next day, we're informed that the company is dividing our department between the U.S. and Canada and that there would be a new person to deal with the U.S. clients and we were to restrict ourselves to Canada. Both my colleague and I were a little shocked at this, since neither of us has heard that this was being discussed. I asked who the new person for the U.S. was, and we then learned that it was a new hire that the CEO had taken a special interest in. Trying to be a good sport, I offered to train the new person. There are many realities of the job that are not in the job description. The CEO accepted and then brought in the new hire. In walks a young lady who looks about 23 years old and wears an expression like she knows everything. She sits at the table and immediately makes it very clear that she wants nothing to do with us. My CEO is Bob, the new hire is Karen, and my colleague is Jim. Bob says, Welcome, Karen. We have just informed OP and Jim about the change in structure, and they are willing to give you the support you need to get yourself started. Karen and Bob both look at me. Glad to have you aboard, Karen. I think both Jim and I have a lot of experience to share with you, and we are happy to do so. Perhaps it would be better in a separate meeting so we don't take the board's time. Thank you all. I have a lot of ideas about how I can streamline our department and new policies I can introduce that should save the company a lot of money and expenses. I'm very confused at this point. Karen is speaking as though she is my supervisor and that is distinctly not what Bob spoke to us about. I can see some of the board members giving strange looks at this as well. I say, Bob, perhaps I misunderstood the new roles here. Would you please clarify? Sure, Karen is the new head of your department, and both you and Jim will answer directly to her. A board member says, that isn't what we discussed or approved as a board. We weren't fully convinced of dividing the department, but this is completely against what we discussed. What did you discuss then? That your department would be divided between the U.S. and Canada. OP and Jim would remain north of the border and you would run the U.S. That's not what I was told, but I can work with that. As long as these two stay out of my way, indicating me and Jim. Jim and I are both shocked and insulted to be spoken of in this manner. We're both very good at our jobs and before today have never seen this woman in our lives. That settles it. OP, effective immediately. You and Jim are to have nothing to do with Karen. Do not interfere with her work at all. You are both to restrict yourselves to working within Canada only. With that, he ended the meeting and left the room with Karen close behind him. Jim and I sat there stunned for a moment, and some of the board members came up to us to express their shock and sympathies about this. 
I had enough presence of mind to ask if we would get a written directive of this change and was assured we would. Sure enough, both Jim and I got emails with the new director from Bob by the end of the day. So after sending an email to all our US-based clients advising them of the change and giving them the contact information of Karen, Jim and I made our way back to Toronto and reorganized ourselves for working within Ontario only. This meant much less traveling for us, so it gave us more room to breathe. Within a week, I was getting complaints from our US-based clients that Karen was not answering emails and missing appointments. I forwarded these emails to Karen and copied the entire board, including Bob. Another week later, I get a phone call from Karen who sounds frantic, but will not admit she needs help. She makes pleasant conversation and then asks how I would handle a particular type of situation. I tell her I'm really not interested in discussing work as that might be seen as interfering in her work. <laughs> Later that evening, I get a call from Jim telling me he had the same conversation with Karen and handled it the same way. By the end of that month, I get a call from Bob asking if I will take over the entire department again. I politely tell him no since I didn't want to interfere with Karen and her role. For the next three months, I'm getting emails and phone calls from U.S. clients asking if they can have me back as their contact. This confirms an idea that had been in my head. Jim and I had actually grown our client base in Ontario since restricting ourselves here. So I had lunch with Jim one day and asked him if he wanted to go into business with me as partners starting our own consulting firm. We couldn't provide everything our current company provided, but we could provide a high degree of professionalism for our specific field, and it seemed we had a ready-made client base. By the end of the lunch, he was on board and we started the necessary steps to get ourselves set up. As soon as we were clear, we both submitted our resignations with explanations of why. The next time clients contacted us, we told them we no longer worked for the company. When they asked if we still worked in the field, we told them we had established our own firm and what services we offered. A month later, we had 60% of our U.S. clients on board. And since the former company had no Canadian support at all, we had 80% of the Canadian clients. Within two months, we had 80% of the U.S. and 90% of the Canadian clients. In the year since that time, our new company has grown enough that we have hired seven new consultants. Jim and I find ourselves doing more office work than road work and a lot of client courting. Our old company has had to stop offering the in-person troubleshooting, which is what our department did. And Bob was fired by the board. No idea what happened to Karen. Update. Because of the interest expressed in the comments, I made a phone call to one of the board members I remained on friendly terms with. Here are some answers to questions. How did Karen get the job? Apparently, Bob had set up a business school scholarship out of his own money, which had put something like six or seven students through business school. Karen was the latest graduate and Bob wanted to give her a start in the business world. Was Bob sleeping with Karen? No clear answer was given. But Bob's wife divorced him shortly after he was fired from the company. Make of that what you will. What happened to Karen? Apparently, she got a job as middle management in a financial services company. Hopefully, she can still build a life for herself and has learned some important lessons. What happened to Bob? Last I heard, he was a regional director for a large hotel chain. 
Hopefully he also lands on his feet. Everyone deserves a chance to make a life for themselves. Some question why the board was there for this meeting. I honestly don't know, and neither did the board member I spoke with. It was one of their regularly scheduled meetings, and Bob added things to the agenda. Man, this story could have so easily ended differently. If the CEO hadn't divided the two districts, then we've all read enough stories about Karens to know that her incompetence would have constantly been blamed on OP and Jim. Then they would have gotten fired, and she probably would have gotten promoted. Our next Reddit post is from Sam Unseen. Last September, my wife had planned a wonderful Father's Day present for me. Father's Day is in September in Australia. This was to be my first ever Father's Day as a new dad. So to mark the occasion, my wife had arranged to have our daughter's face laser etched onto a dog tag. However, the day before Father's Day, she received the item back and it was, shall we say, subpar. So she came to me and showed me my present early. (laughs) for for those who are listening and not watching this picture of this baby's face looks like something out of the exorcist (laughs) it's like this creepy baby face with like glowing white eyes it's not something you'd want to wear on your body at all (laughs) now i've had some experience with sucky retailers before and remembered to always come prepared when disputing the quality of goods and services So I set my phone to record all audio and approached the retailer. I explained that my wife was upset at the quality of the engraving and rightfully so. I requested a refund and was immediately met with resistance. To begin with, they blamed the quality of the photo we provided. Then when I disputed that, they said that laser engraving doesn't do depth very well and some faces can end up with some shadows missing. End of conversation. They refused a refund and threatened to call security if I didn't leave. The engraver is located in a mall that I also happen to work in. My wife and I left. We straight away left a less than glowing review on their Google page. This was met with accusations of us being unreasonable and threatening violence. Ours was not the only review to which they had this response. They informed us that the matter had been passed on to the local police and that a restraining order had been applied for. We immediately called all local police stations and were delighted to hear that they had never heard of the company in question. After some thought, and me being the stubborn bastard that I am, I decided to forward the matter onto the local small claims tribunal. A month or so passed, and our day in the tribunal had arrived. We honestly weren't expecting the engraver to show up, but lo and behold, there he was at a civil claims court in camo pants and a hoodie. We met in a room with a mediator who told us that it may not be worth chasing a $40 refund from someone who is, in short, a dickhead. She warned us that it may end up costing more than the service to begin with. But as mentioned before, I'm a stubborn bastard. We pushed forward, opting to go to hearing. This is when we heard some marvelous news from the engraver. Oh, I'm not prepared to go to hearing today. I haven't got any of my evidence. Ding, ding, ding. We went to a hearing that day. The registrar ruled in our favor and issued a notice of payment. The business was to pay us 40 bucks within two weeks. Two weeks later, no payment, no surprise. During this time, I had been communicating via email with the holder of the engraver's lease 
who, in response to my complaint, among many others, had decided to terminate the lease, effectively kicking the engraver out of the mall. My man. While the engraver was organizing a new venue for his business, I filed a motion for a writ for levy of property, meaning the local sheriff was able to enter his premises and relieve him of merchandise to the value of the refund plus court fees, now totaling 139 bucks. I informed the engraver, asking him if he would like to settle like a reasonable person or have the sheriff pay him a visit. He was not a reasonable person. Then OP posts a text conversation. He says, just so you know, you owe us $139 due to failure to pay in time for the original order. Would you like to sort this out like a civilized person or would you prefer I send this sheriff to your new shop to repossess some items to cover the cost? Go for the gold, mate. That's not how the law works. Once the writ had been issued, the fee then increased to 225 bucks. All I had to do was wait. And wait I did until March 13th this year, when the sheriff finally attended his new business premises. He was offered an ultimatum, pay the fee or have merchandise repossessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. The man paid. He was stubborn for six months over a $40 refund, only to be down 225 bucks plus five bucks interest. That was r slash malicious compliance. And if you enjoyed this content, please subscribe to my channel because I am so close to 1 million subs. We'll be back with more r slash content right after this short break. Welcome to r slash malicious compliance, where a rude Karen misses her flight because her Uber driver was just following her instructions. Our first Reddit post is from Orland Thunderous. So I worked for a company for a few years. I got turned down for every promotion, but was still expected to do the extra work because they stopped scheduling anyone to do it and I thought it would make me look better if I just did it. Covering breaks, checking logs, safety walks, etc. We had three department managers who only worked during the day and a supervisor for the mid-shift, but no management at night. A position opened up for the job and I put in for it, but then it was closed because of labor and budget issues and lack of applications. A few weeks later, they complained I wasn't doing enough production and needed to focus more on my work. So eventually, I just stopped doing the extra work and let the department fall to pieces. We got pinged from the regional manager for missing too many safety walks. We got pinged by health and safety for not having properly filled logs. Customers complained about lack of service due to employees being on breaks. Management flipped its lid and said this would probably prevent me from getting a promotion in the future. When I asked why, they told me that these were part of my job duties. But you told me to focus on productivity, not any extra duties. These are part of a supervisor's role, not mine. You've been doing them for months now. Why did you stop? You told me to focus on production. Well, until we find someone to work at night, they have to be covered. Wow, so one of the managers will have to close every night. That's rough. Come on, we're all a team. You can help us out, right? Sorry, I'm not comfortable doing extra duties beyond my role without proper training and compensation. Our next Reddit post is from Solonege Cracker. So this happened when me and my two friends were traveling to another city in my country with a quite old and slow night train. 
We bought tickets spontaneously and quite late, so we were divided into different compartments. Usually, it's not a problem to come to an agreement with people to swap places with you. It's quite common practice. The wagon had about nine compartments. Each had two top and two bottom shelves. Me and my one friend were in compartment two, closer to the conductor's office. I don't know, the small room where they sit. And we were on the top and bottom shelves. And my other friend was in compartment nine, top shelf. This other friend's compartment was next to the toilet room. The thing is that you usually wouldn't want to be in number nine on these old trains because in 90% of cases, it will smell horribly all the way because of the toilet. We wanted to ask someone from our compartment to swap with our friend, but it turned out we had a nice couple going with us, so it's us two who would have to move. So we haven't unpacked yet, as well as many of the passengers. And we went to visit our friend at number nine and asked someone from his compartment to swap places with us. And we felt lucky as we saw that he had another couple with him occupying the top and bottom shelf, just like us. Swapping would be easy as we were further from the toilet and that's a huge perk. Hey, we have a friend traveling here. Would you mind swapping places with us? We have the same shelves as you do. No, get away from my compartment. Note that my friend Nick is there as well as another passenger. Alex, my friend from compartment two said, Lady, please, it's further from the toilet and we'll be traveling together as a group. Nick said, yeah, please, if you would. The lady's boyfriend said, listen, kids. We were all about 22 to 23. Would you calm down? Dang it. I paid for my tickets and we are staying just at the place we paid for. I am not into some sucky bargain. Uh, excuse me, but we're offering better spots just because we want to be with our friend. I am not falling for this. You probably have ticks in your pillows or worse. What? No, it's not that. We just wanted to have a chat. Maybe play cards? Listen, F off with your BS. I paid and I stay here. And you're supposed to stay at your shelves. It's the law when you buy tickets. Well, that escalated quickly. There is no such law and no one cares, but okay. Her boyfriend made sure he called us morons a few times so we could hear it going back to our compartment. We were confused by such a negative reaction as it's not something you come across. Usually, people would politely decline and that's it. Our friend later told us that they were complaining to him about us. What a lovely couple. Fast forward a few hours and we're getting ready to sleep. Nick decides to pay us a visit. He comes and says that number nine is starting to smell like piss because people have been using the toilet. We mock him and laugh about him having to spend the night with poopy people and also smelling poop. The nice couple that stayed with us at number two also laughed with us as we befriended them and told them the story already. About 10 minutes pass and someone knocks on the door. We're a bit confused of who it might be. We open the door and wouldn't you know it, the boyfriend is here. Um, you guys, we've thought about your offer and we think that we would like to accept it. My friend says, you mean swap when we've already unpacked? Yeah, I'm sure it's fast and no problem. And my woman is unable to sleep back there. Is it the smell? 
Him, happy that we got his idea, says, Yeah, it is bad. She's sick because of it. I see my friend and I already feel what he's about to say. I hear the inner drums preparing me for this moment. Sorry, man, we're staying on the shelves that we paid for. It's the law. I made a walrus sculpt and closed my face laughing. Nick chuckled in his hand. And the nice couple had that happy, shocked expression on their faces. Those buttholes ended up spending the night with the smell worsening with every hour. Nick also suffered there, but he said it was worth it. Listening to Karen eating her man's brains out over her not being able to fall asleep. She tried to spray her perfume around, but it only turned out smelling like a pile of feces on a flower bed. OP, I don't know where you're from, but you have some of the strangest phrases I've ever heard of. <laughs> I love the mental image of Karen eating her boyfriend's brains because she's angry at him. What language has those idioms? Does anybody know? Let me know down in the comments if you recognize those idioms. Our next Reddit post is from Isabel Internet. A guy I know, we both work in emergency services and public safety, was at a restaurant with his family. He racked up a $100 plus bill. The waitress brings the bill. He puts his credit card in the receipt thing and hands it to her. She comes back a few minutes later, tells him she can't charge the meal to that card because he doesn't look like the picture on the credit card. Well, that's true. He had lost 150 pounds in the preceding two years. Oh, that's me. I used to be fat. I'm sorry, sir. You don't look like the picture. My manager won't let me run the card. Well, I don't carry that much cash, and that's my only credit card, so what do you want to do? I don't know, sir, but I can't charge this card if you don't match the picture. Well, kids, you heard the lady. Free meal. The manager comes out, who, for clarity, is also female. Sir, you're going to have to find another way to pay for the check. There isn't another way. I gave you my card, you refused to charge it, so it's your problem now. Well, if you leave, I'll have to call the police. Ten minutes later, the cops show up. Oh, hey, Josh, what's up? Remember that Josh works public safety. He personally knows all the local cops. They won't take my card because it has my fat picture on it. The cops trying very hard not to laugh. Uh, yes, ma'am, I can vouch for him. He's the same person as that extremely fat picture on the card. I can't charge the card if the picture doesn't match. So he tried to pay, and I've confirmed he is who he says he is, and that picture on the card is him, and you won't run the card? I'm not allowed to, no. Well, Josh, you heard the lady. Free meal. Josh and the cop then proceeded to stand in the parking lot for another 20 minutes laughing and talking, while the manager glared out the door from behind the hostess stand. Josh's wife and kids, teenagers by the way, had long since walked to Target across the parking lot. I often would ask him if he had been back to that restaurant. He said he got a new card recently, with no picture at all, and he did go back, just he and his wife. Different waitress, never saw the manager, ate, paid, and left. It was a Longhorn Steakhouse, if you were wondering. What a stupid way to screw yourself out of a hundred bucks plus tips. 
I mean, if the cop says it's okay, what's the issue? Our next Reddit post is from Chase Rules 100. So my mother is usually a very calm and understanding person who will take a lot of stuff without complaining. But when she gets angry, she won't hesitate to bring up some sweet malicious compliance. My father, meanwhile, is the definition of an irritable mess who loves being extremely petty. And it's a good thing he and my mother aren't married anymore because I don't know how she ever stood him. This particular incident happened two years ago. So my parents were finishing up a custody trial. My father was losing the trial and he wasn't happy about it. He decided in the summer of 2017 to try to get back at my mother by taking a long vacation that goes through one of her weekends in the summer. Me and my sisters find this out fairly quickly as the summer begins. And we tell our mother, who texts my father, thinking he made a mistake. The conversation went something like this. Are you taking the kids to Beachtown from date to date? Yes, I am. You know I have a weekend during that time, right? Well, if you want to have them, you can come pick them up and do whatever you want with them. What I'm doing is perfectly legal and within the law as we have to pick up the kids when it's our time. Surprisingly, he was right. My mother was done talking to him at that point and said nothing more on the matter. She just told us to enjoy our vacation at Beachtown. So we spent a couple days at the town. We've been to this place half a dozen times, so we're kind of bored. My father only likes it because he bought a summer home there, and he knows the people there and sometimes goes out to bars alone at night with my stepmother. Eventually, the weekend comes around and at 6 p.m., the time when a parent is supposed to pick up, my mother shows up at the summer house. My father is shocked and she asks for the kids, stating that she's rented a hotel room here and has clothes for us. We take a ride with her in <laughs> We take a ride with her in a cab back to the hotel, which she stayed at overnight, but she only packed two bags and only one set of clothes for us, which is odd as we're supposed to be here until Monday morning. Then she takes out her airline tickets. We're taking the next flight home. Not one of us wants to stay, of course. We're pretty tired of going to this place anyways, and we don't tell our father or stepmother. <laughs> we fly home, and when Monday rolls around, my father is calling to ask where the kids are. My mother answers and tells him they're back home and that if he wants to have them, he can come pick them up. My father is screaming over the line at this point and my mother calmly tells him this is perfectly legal and within the law, repeating back to him what he texted her at the beginning of the summer. My father spends the rest of the vacation alone in Beachtown. I hope he enjoyed it with my stepmother. Since neither he nor my grandparents, the only other people who can take us in his name, are in town, custody law states that we instead spend that time with our mother. During that free week she got with us, we went to the amusement park and saw a few movies. Overall, we enjoyed that spectacle and the time with our mother instead of going to Beachtown for the umpteenth time. Our next Reddit post is from Ludi Ludi La La La. This happened about 15 years ago. I was working as a server in a chain restaurant during the summer while I was home from college. 
I'd gone to a party one night, gotten hammered, and wound up passing out near the bonfire in the brush by a tree line of this big field. I woke up the next morning feeling pretty rough and gradually saw large patches of poison ivy popping up all over my body. By the end of the day, it was absolutely horrendous, head to toe, and I realized I had slept in a patch of poison ivy. I could barely move. I went to the doctor who put me on steroids and bed rest. I was scheduled to work the next day and called my supervisor to let him know that aside from not being able to move my limbs because of the swelling, itching, and pain, I looked awful and should not be serving food to customers. He was a prick about it, asked me questions trying to poke holes in my story, and then demanded a doctor's note. I called my doctor and had one sent to him. The note cleared me from work for at least a week. A few days later, I get a call from my manager. They are slammed on a busy weekend night and need me to come in. I remind him that I have a doctor's note. It hasn't been a week, and while I'm feeling better, I am covered in oozing sores. He tells me, You've had long enough. Come in now or you'll be fired. Fine. I put on my shorts, my polo shirt with company logo, name tag and apron, and head to the restaurant. I get to the hostess stand and everyone around me stares at my skin with their jaws dropped. I tell the hostess I was called into work and would like to check with the manager about where my section will be. (laughs) She tells me he's busy in the party room helping out with a very large group and that I probably shouldn't go in there. She offers to go get him and tries to get me to move to a less conspicuous place. No, I insisted. I was told I would be fired if I didn't come to work today. I walked straight back to the party room, tapped my manager on the shoulder, and cheerily said, Hi manager, I'm here for my shift. How can I help? His eyes opened wide in horror, and he told me immediately to go back home. I loudly protested that I was feeling better and my sores weren't that bad. And I was worried about being fired, like he told me on the phone. He told me to go home, which I did. This was not the first incident where the manager was an absolute prick. And I called to quit the morning of the next legitimate shift I was scheduled for, after the poison ivy cleared up. (laughs) <laughs> I think the <laughs> I think the better play would have been to pick up a tray of food, bring it to a customer and hand it to them while like your pustles are exploding over their food. If that wouldn't have gotten you kicked out of the restaurant, then I don't know what would have. Our next Reddit post is from Jermaine Buckets. I drive Uber in a major metropolitan area. I pick up a rather unpleasant, rich and snooty, holier-than-thou, let-me-speak-to-your-manager type of lady for a 30-minute airport trip. We'll call her Rhonda. Hey, Rhonda, how you doing this morning? She rolls her eyes. I'm going to need you to hurry up, or else I'll be late for my flight. As if it's my fault that she didn't plan ahead better. Whatever. Cranky Uber passengers are nothing new. So, usually, you take AA road to get to the airport. However, it appeared there was an astronomical traffic jam of epic proportions, and taking BB road was actually much faster at that moment. 
There's millions of dollars invested in this GPS technology. It knows what it's doing. I start to take BB Road. Um, excuse me. Where exactly are you going? You're an Uber driver. Do you not know how to get to the airport? Well, I actually think this road will be a lot quicker. The GPS takes into account the... She interrupts me. I've lived here for 17 years. I think I would know how to get to the airport by now. Take AA Road. It's not that difficult. Ugh. Me, <laughs> smiling internally. As you wish, ma'am. Fast forward about 45 minutes later, and we've traveled a grand total of just over three miles. She's definitely going to miss her flight. She's livid about the situation. Meanwhile, you can see BB Road in the distance, and the cars are just smoothly traveling at full speed. First time in my life, I actually enjoyed sitting in a traffic jam. That was r slash malicious compliance. And if you want to maliciously comply, subscribe to my channel and check out my new merch store with the link down in the description.